Welcome to ShambleFest! I'm Jess. I'm Amber. And we are your one-stop weekly shop for news shambles. We're a weekly WTF and current events comedy podcast. We drop episodes every Monday morning. Tune in. Shamble on! here and we are bringing you your weekly sometimes sweet sometimes bitter treats of stories from the fighting world of music yeah yeah lots of fights lots of fights that go down in music lots of fists to throw in this fisticuffs fisticuffs indeed they happen we are your two hosts i'm maggie i'm ashley and tonight we have to once again shout out for the third time our local brewers at Rare Form for providing us with some raw beets for this evening. Mm. It is a nice, tasty little IPA brewed with raw rye. Very nice. Like it. Enjoying it. And it's raw beets are a perfect way to discuss some raw beefs and raw emotions. See? There's some beefs, some raw nerves, and there's some emotions, and there's things. They're going down. We're talking about rivalries. Motherfuckers. The best. The best. And the funniest. Yeah, mostly. Really. I, I'd like to think most of it's funny. Yeah. No. Most of it. Man, do people love a good fight. We as fans can agree that when our favorite artist is up against another, we will blindly side with them through the entire debacle. Yes. Yes. Does not matter. Rationale, facts, logic, it's all out the window. We don't even know these people. We don't. And we take sides. Yeah. And who can even say what it is about a rivalry that really gets our blood pumping? Maybe it's the chance to defend our reasons for listening to the music over other music. Or maybe it's just a way to truly show our devotion. But uh, either way, you can bet when a feud shows up in the news, we are quick to take sides and get drawn right alongside the parties involved. Indeed. Like, when you see online somebody's beefing with somebody you're like oh who's who am i gonna side with <laughs> Ooh-wee. i get to pick a side <laughs> I, this means a lot to me as a person <laughs> i'm going to get invested in this dumb arbitrary argument that has nothing to do with me this defines me as a person <laughs> yeah we get we get real into it yeah and it's fine it's fine uh and I don't know about you during your research, but definitely throughout mine, I I kind of came to my own conclusion as to a big reason why a lot of these feuds go down. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think that as we spend the episode going through a handful of famous rivalries, their beginnings, as well as their possible endings or probable unendings, uh, will lead us all to the same conclusion that 99% of the time, they aren't even the epic fights that we think they are. Yeah. It's just that the media builds it up to this ridiculous thing yeah. that it isn't at well, all. There was, when I was trying to pick my my three rivalries that I wanted to do, actually, two out of the three of them 
weren't really even covered by the media because yeah. they're they're just bands that nobody really fucking knows. <laughs> but that's fine. I know them and I love them. But only one of them really was covered by the media yeah. in any way. I don't even really remember that one very well, but I can tell the media blew it way out of proportion. Probably. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We'll we'll get to it and we'll see. I'll leave that one for last. You do you do more homework than I do because I only did two stories, but one is definitely really blown up by the music industry journalists and all them. Mm-hmm. The other one didn't need any help, but that doesn't mean that radio stations weren't quick to jump on it together. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's fun. But let's just get right into it because we got some ground to cover. Yeah. We hope you guys are entertained. Want to hear some fights? Want to hear some fisticuffs? Because and, who doesn't love a good fight? And maybe we'll end up telling you about a feud that you didn't even know about before. There you go. Maybe. Learn yourself something. Um, but the first one I'm going to talk about, a lot of people might not know about it. But if you were any sort of emo fan. Which I was not. Which So you're going to learn yourself something. I'm going to learn. If you were any sort of emo fan in the early 2000s, then you knew about Taking Back Sunday and Brand New, and you knew about their feud. All right. I got on this bandwagon late. I It wasn't until maybe like 2004 that is, I got on this emo bandwagon. Is that late? I feel like it's the prime. Yeah. But 2004, I think, was about when Taking Back Sunday and Brand New put out their second albums. Okay-ish. So I technically I was late. All right, sure. Everybody, all of my other friends are already like them, so I was a little bit late. Did one of them sing that song about your hair being everywhere? N- no. Yes, I know it's dashboard. I was just being a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> get a nerve. Get out of here. Here comes my Steve Harvey face. <laughs> We're going to be making that family feud Steve Harvey face quite a bit. What? What? Did you hear what she just said? I'm Steve Harvey. <laughs> with the mustache. I know, I with put the, the finger, finger stash. Finger stash. Yeah. That means, that, that invokes him more for me. <laughs> but anyway. So the bands Taking Back Sunday and Brand New are forever entwined. Not really because their music sounds all that similar or because they share band members, but because they have one of the most famous beefs in emo history. <laughs> and actually not all of that is really true. Their music did at one time sound pretty similar and they did technically share band members at one point. Oh my God. I just thought that was a pretty tight introduction. <laughs> so I good. I was there for it. Yeah, you were here. <laughs> well, let me get you back there. Both bands were from that jewel of the East Coast, Long Island. <laughs> Long Island. Oh, that's probably the nicest thing anyone's ever said about Long Island. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tried to be nice, okay? Oh. So, Jesse Lacey and John Nolan were BFFs, and John had a band called Taking Back Sunday. Yeah. Jesse was their original bassist. But he would leave in 2001, replaced with none other than Adam Lazara, who would eventually be kicked off base and shoved in front of a microphone instead. That's when- an upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. He Hold was up. He was bumped up. He got bumped up. He got bumped, 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 bumped it up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I could go home now. We're done. We're done now. <laughs> but Jesse went on to create Brand New, and thus the two bands were born. Naturally, the rift between the two bands begins with a girl. 
Because it always does. Gotta get that pussy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the, it. <laughs> the exact details are kind of murky, and the two parties never really attempted to clear anything up. But the story most people go with is that Jesse was dating a girl who cheated on him with John. You know, it also doesn't help that it's Jesse and John. It's not like it's Mark and Frank, which are two very yeah. different names. And back then they looked a lot alike. Well, yeah, because it's emo and everybody's hair was just in their face. Yeah. You couldn't see me's faces. Yeah. Well, no, they had they had short and tight haircuts, but they had the same haircut. And they looked alike. Sweet. So John was taking back Sunday? Yes. And then Jesse was um, brand new. Brand new. Yes. Okay. So confusing. So Jesse found out and denounced John and anything that had to do with him. And of course, all the band members took their respective sides. Taking Back Sunday versus Brand New officially started. Over some pussy. Over some pussy. All right. Now, like I said, the facts are few and far between, but things kind of played out on their debut albums. Brand New struck first with their album Your Favorite Weapon, which they released in 2001. Taking Back Sunday's album Tell All Your Friends which came out a year later in 2002, would have some pretty direct responses to some of the songs on Your Favorite Weapon. And honestly, it gets pretty petty because they're like teenage boys. Oh, babies. Yeah, little babies. Little babies fighting over some girl. <laughs> Jesse Lacey strikes first with the song 70 times 7. For starters, if you're educated at all in the Bible, the title alone kind of gives away the subject of the song. There's a line in the Bible, something about someone asking Jesus how many times they must forgive their brother or sister for sinning against them, and they ask, up to seven times? And Jesus says, I will tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. But 70 times seven... I got this is, is just not this is the quote I got seven. Yeah, this is the quote I got. From oh, I 100 percent believe that's exactly the story. I mean, I don't know shit about the Bible, but this no, is just, that's I I just mean what, he's what got you, his math wrong. Yeah, yeah, his math is real wrong on this. Yeah, but maybe he's maybe he's saying he has to forgive him 70 times seven times instead of just. 77 Do you think he meant to put a plus sign and just accidentally made it a know. multiplication sign? I don't, I don't know. Because that's what I think happened. I don't know. That's that's my story. You can go ask Jesse. I don't care. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> okay. That's the side I'm taking in this rivalry. Math side. That's a good side to take. I, I feel like it is. That's a good side like to this, take. I chose wisely. <laughs> so in this song, Jesse... Continues to conjure up increasingly violent imagery throughout the song, first describing what seems to be the night he finds out about the affair and the and all the self-loathing and depression that comes along with it, oh. and then delving into death threats and dreams of his friend killing himself. Oh, a little harsh, huh? That's a bit much, guy. The song culminates in a rousing, screaming session with lyrics such as, Is that what you call tact? You're as subtle as a brick in the small of my back. I cannot say this without doing it in the melody of the song. <laughs> so let's end this call and end this conversation because you dot 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 because you left the phrase of the ties you severed when you say best friends means friends forever. Aww. He rhymed. He rhymed. That's, yeah. And also, have another drink and drive yourself home. I hope there's ice on all the roads, and you can think of me when you forget your seatbelt, and again when your head goes through the windshield. That doesn't rhyme as well. But in the song, it sounds good. 
Okay. It sounds good in the song. All right. I promise. <laughs> I promise. It's I'll great. play it for you when we're done. Okay. But like, it's it's kind of brutal. That's like he's saying he helps his friend gets Damn. into a horrible car accident and flies through the windshield. It's like when I get really mad at someone and I tell them that I hope they get hit by a bus and live. But like, this is kind of the song that you need to listen to when you feel that way. All right. Because it it really captures those emotions you're really trying to get me on the taking back sunday train aren't you this, this is brand new this this song why, is brand why new. why can't they have the same name or different names why can't they have different names <laughs> they are different names. they're not different enough <laughs> not enough wait wait so jesse's brand new and john is taking back sunday yes. got it no anyway <laughs> continuing continue but you bet your ass john clapped back <laughs> Taking Back Sunday's song There's No Iron Team is a direct response to 70 times 7 that they even took direct lyrics from Brand New Song oh, and put it in theirs. Oh shit. Just in case Jesse Lazy was even slightly unsure the song was about him. <laughs> so you can hear in the bridge of There's No Iron Team John saying, Is that what you call tact? You're as subtle as a brick in the small of my back, so let's end this call and end this conversation. Same fucking lyrics. Oh shit. The last lines of the song are repeat are a repeated refrain that John and Adam sing together. Best friends means I pulled the trigger. Best friends means you get what you deserve. <gasps> oh, oh, like, oh my. So Jesse's going to make death threats. We're going to make death threats. But this is a much more direct death That's threat. That's pretty direct. <laughs> Honestly, Jesse's is very passive aggressive. Like, me, he'll be junk drive. Me. Yeah, but they're like, no, like, we're going to shoot the fuck out of you. Yeah. We're going to shoot you. Yeah. Yeah. And the song ends with scrawny white boy John sing screeching the same lines over and over again. But the petty didn't begin and end with those albums. Huh. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say. It also spilled into their merch with brand new issuing a shirt that said, because mics are for singing, not swinging, making fun of Adam's, might I say, fantastic microphone swinging skills i know about that because you posted the video i did it's real good he's really good at it he can swing that mic as much as he wants yeah jesse yeah i've heard stories of him hitting people <laughs> in the audience with a microphone but <laughs> you live and you learn so happy you live and you learn and then you can say i got whacked in the head by adam lazara <laughs> do they sell that shirt because they, they should, should. <laughs> or we can make it yeah and then they can sue us and then would they you sue know. us? I guess they'd sue us. Maybe. All right. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But Taking Back Sunday responded by selling stickers that said, Taking Back Sunday, proudly swinging since 1999. Oh, that's cute. kind of cute. I like that. <laughs> but these days, the feud has quieted down quite a bit. Adam and Taking Back Sunday bassist Sean Cooper have both indicated the situation was completely overblown in order to gain publicity. However, Adam has also publicly called Jesse Lacey a dick. Like, quote, he's a dick. <laughs> There's no beating around the bush. No, he just straight up said, he's a he dick. He said, that guy's a dick. <laughs> yeah, pretty all much. Right. But as far as we all can tell, Jesse and John have at least made up and once in a blue moon hmm. will perform together. As for a brand new Taking Back Sunday tour that probably won't be happening anytime soon, especially now that Brand New has announced their impending breakup and Jesse oh. Lacey was nailed for sexual exploitation and harassment of minors. Whoa. Yeah. Gross. Disgusting. Gross. 
he was always the creepy weird one so it's probably a good thing she cheated on him with john i was gonna ask so do we know what happened to the girl did she nobody stay knows with anybody nobody so knows she who she is but yeah who it must have been if anything it sounds like it was probably a girlfriend of three months they weren't all that yeah. serious she was thought saw john and thought mm, i'd hit it and so she did yeah but there was also like and girl got what she wanted didn't she she she's one of the few people who can say I slept with Jesse Lacey and John Nolan. Good for you, girl. Good for you. You know who the real winner is? Her. Emo princess. Yay. Good job, emo princess. Um, Watch but there like, was... I fucking hate emo. They just had big dicks. <laughs> but there was all kind of like feud inception here. Feudception. Feudception. Mm-hmm. Um, because after all of this, after uh, Taking Back Sunday's first album came out, then John and Sean Cooper left Taking Back Sunday. And then there was kind of like this ridiculous sort of bitterness going on between the two of them. Oh. And John started Stray Light Run, who was decidedly inferior to Taking Back Sunday. I've never even... I can't even fake that I've heard of that. Yeah, it's fine. You don't need to know. Okay. Um... So when Straylight Run was gaining popularity and Taking Back Sunday was still really popular and gaining more um, notoriety and Mm -hmm. stuff, then they started kind of like spatting back and forth a little bit. And then Straylight Run kind of just fizzled and now John and Sean are back with Taking Back Sunday. (laughs) With their tails between their legs saying, hey guys. Oh, but you know what? I'm okay with that because they they belong in that band. Right. They really belong there. You've said if they started when they were teenagers, even late teens, early 20s, you're still figuring your shit out and you're still young and you're making mistakes and good for everybody involved to be able to say, we made a mistake. We're sorry. And for taking back something, be like, it's cool, brah. Come on. And you know what? We're better together. They are. It's fine. And they are better together. I'm sure Because they are. their albums were kind of going downhill. And then John and Sean came back and their albums have been fucking A plus since then. So good for you, Taking Back Sunday. I love you. So the winners, you would say, are Taking Back Sunday. 100%. 100%. <laughs> so at this point, current status, feud pretty much over. Winner goes to Taking Back Sunday. I, I would say so. Right. Some people would disagree and say brand new because arguably brand new's albums since then have gotten increasingly more credible. However, Jesse done fucked up. Yeah. See, that's, so yeah. Mm. All that credibility kind of goes down the toilet. I don't care how good your music is. Don't touch kids. Well, he don't was. Don't touch kids. He was a kid also when this happened, but wait, no, he was. Older than 18. Yeah, they're not, you're definitely and not a kid And doing anymore. shit with people who were younger than 18. Mm-hmm. But he insists that they he thought that they were older than that. And they were like, no, he Just, knew damn well we weren't. So. When, you're, when, you're, when you're in music, you just can't. If yeah. You, I get it. Sometimes people lie and that's fine. I mean, it's not fun. <sighs> yeah. Shit happens, yeah. right? But when you... Or hooking up with someone you know is underage. Don't. Just <laughs> just don't. Just don't exploit your fame, however little of it you have yeah. or however much of it you have. Don't exploit it. Because that's kind of what he yeah. was doing. Because this was years ago that this happened. Oh. But it just came out, I think, in the last year that he did this shit. 
um, when... Hey, it is the time right now. Right. For shit that you did 10 years ago to come back and bite you in the ass. I cannot wait for t- until somebody finds some shit that I said on Facebook <laughs> when I was, I don't know, 24, and they're going to say, look at Maggie said something terrible, and I'm going to say, okay. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. But we, we just, we really want to get upset what people did 10 years ago. You live and you learn. I suppose you do. Some people do anyway. Yeah. Some don't. Anyway. Anyway. Speaking of living and learning. Mm-hmm. Who you got? You know what? No. Speaking of your little emo boys, <laughs> let's go to some OG misery right up in this piece. You wouldn't have your emo bands if it wasn't for the sad goth boys of the 80s. And the, yep. f- and the first feud I am going to cover is Robert Smith versus Morrissey. Yeah. And actually, one of the other songs on Brand New's album oh that f- completely was addressing John Nolan and their whole beef was called uh, something mixtape. Total blanking right now. Um, there, In one of the lyrics, he says, I'm sick of your tattoos and the way you don't appreciate the Smiths or Morrissey. <laughs> Oh, now I'm 100% team taking back Sunday. No, that was brand new. No. Brand new said that. Said that about John, who's in taking yes. back Sunday. Who doesn't like the Smiths or Morrissey. Right, so I'm on taking back Sunday's okay. side. Okay, cool. That's that's what I mean. So and are that, you on the cure side? Oh, and yeah. I'm probably on the cure side, I think too. everyone's Morrissey's on the cure side. Morrissey's kind of a dick, so. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. As anyway, you discover. Get to it. So let me set up the players here for some of those who might know the names, which, what are you doing? Robert Smith is the lead singer of The Cure, easily recognizable by his stuck a finger in an electrical socket <laughs> hairstyle, hella goth smoky eye, mm-hmm. and gratuitous amounts of lipstick. Mm-hmm. His voice is absolutely distinguishable, melodic, haunting, and a tinge of whiny all in one. Stephen Morrissey was the lead singer of 80s sad time band The Smiths. Sad Time Band. Sad Time Band. That was the best name I could come up for their genre. Sad Time. He shoegaze. Shoegazingly pre- sad. Pre-emo. Primo. New, primo. New wavy. Yeah. Post-punk. Sad. Look, I'm not going to lie. I do like the Smiths. It's sad sack music. But it is. I listen to the Smiths when it's raining or when I'm really sad. Yeah. Because it's perfect for those things. <laughs> There's, I, I love their song, Asleep. Yes! Um, <laughs> but it's the most depressing so song. Sad. I cannot listen to it unless I'm already crying. Yeah. Because oh of <laughs> I'm already here. I might as well just swallow in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, for the record, Morrissey hates being called by his first name. He also hates meat and rain. And his former bandmates, and Canada, and the marriage of Katy Perry and Russell Brand, and journalists. I can keep going, so you need to stop me. Why does he hate so much? Morrissey hates virtually everything. Seriously. If you've ever watched an interview with him or read an article, Morrissey will say he hates at least five things in it. So, basically, he's just like a suicide note with legs. Yeah, like, but would never actually commit suicide. But, like, he exudes it, so he's the walking suicide note that makes other people want to shoot themselves. Exactly. You just sit next to him and think, I don't need to be here for this. Yeah. I, d- I don't need this anymore. <laughs> Arguably, he wasn't even on Robert's radar until he heard that when Morrissey was asked by NME in an interview 
if he had a loaded gun and was in a room with Mark E. Smith of the fall of the fall and Robert Smith, who would be the first to die? Morrissey answered most cleverly by stating he would line them up so the bullet would penetrate them both. Ha ha. Oh, so funny. It's real funny. So other quotes say that he also mentions Patty Smith in that as well. Like they routed a bunch of Smiths. I don't know what the exact quote is. Okay. I couldn't find it. It was really difficult to find. But the point is, Morrissey was like, I'm going to kill everybody because I'm Morrissey and I hate everything. And it turns out he found Robert to be a bit of a whinge bag. Thanks, oh. Britain. <laughs> What? He's a whinge bag. Whinge. Whinge bag. Not wind, no but whinge. Whinge bag. Whinge bag. Whinge okay. bag. Thanks. I'll, yeah. I that's won't real, even ask. That's real British. So Robert justifiably felt pretty raw about the comment. He couldn't even recall them ever being in the same room together, so to hear Morrissey talk about killing him irked him just a little bit. And his basic response was, well, that's fucking nice, cunt. <laughs> I love British people and the use the word cunt. He expected someone who speaks out so much about violence and animal cruelty that he wouldn't want to kill anybody, right? You would think. You would think. But it's Morrissey. Ugh. Yeah. That eye roll. It's warranted. Morrissey is now a strict vegan, but has always been outspoken for animal rights and pushed a vegetarian agenda whenever he had the chance. Robert decided to trigger him. By coming out and saying, quote, if Morrissey says not to eat meat, then I'm going to eat meat. That's how much I hate Morrissey. <laughs> He's a precious, miserable bastard. He's all the things people think I am. I yeah, really, pretty much. Yeah. Everybody always says, oh, Robert Smith, you're so sad and whiny. And he's like, but did you see Morrissey? Because <laughs> he fucking hates everything. And apparently I've read... In a couple places that Robert Smith even was a vegetarian at one point. I feel like that would be true. So I wonder if the feud with Morrissey in the late... By, it started in the early-ish 80s, like probably like early to mid-80s that Morrissey said that original comment. And by the late 80s, Robert Smith is saying this. So maybe he be, he stopped being a vegetarian just I to think, piss Morrissey yeah, off. I think I'm calling it again. You know what? I'm going to, I was a vegetarian for like nine years. I'm going to start telling people that I stopped being a vegetarian to piss Morrissey off. I was a pescatarian for about a month and a half. So I will also say <laughs> I stopped to piss Morrissey <laughs> off. If you stopped being a vegetarian, write to Morrissey. Let him know. Yeah, let him know that he influenced you to eat meat again. <laughs> oh, I heard you were a real asshole. So I started eating meat again. In 1989, Morrissey told NME that the cure, quote, gave a new dimension to crap. And Robert finally decided to shoot back by saying, well, at least they added to it and not built an entire career around it. And oh, at that point... Oh, shit. Yeah. Shots fired. Snap. Just engulfed in flame war. They, I, I have to say, when it comes to the uh, sparring with wits... Robert Smith's winning right now. Yeah, he's doing real good. Because the thing is, Morrissey kind of just comes out and says, I don't really care for Robert Smith and the cure. And then Robert Smith comes back and he's like, I got this hamburger in my mouth. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> Do you know like three cows died for this? I don't know why Morrissey's British and Robert Smith isn't because they're both British. Yeah. But whatever. It's fine. <laughs> the point being, though, that, yeah, I think Robert Smith definitely knew how to kind of get under Morrissey's skin a little bit more. 
Yeah. But I also think that Robert Smith was easily triggered by Morrissey, too. But even even if he's easily triggered by Morrissey, at least he can, you know, spit out some more clever shit than Morrissey. Well, New dimension to crap. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. At least we don't make yeah. a career around it. Oh, Ooh, shit. Well, so at this point starts years of back and forths. Most notably from Morrissey, one time calling Robert, quote, a fat clown with makeup weeping over a guitar. Oh, Which, that's pretty good. <laughs> he is kind of a goth clown in a he way. He kind of is. But he makes it work. But, oh, it was good. It was real good. But it was cold-blooded. <laughs> and the, kips, the quips just keep coming back and forth. Uh-huh. Both have claimed to greatly dislike the other's music and accuse each other of being really mopey and depressive sounding. I can almost guarantee that both of them would sit in their apartments and like secretly listen to the other's music. (gasps) Oh my God. All the time. And then like the next day they would do an interview and just badmouth each other. I feel like Robert Smith might have listened to Morrissey because he secretly liked it. Mm -hmm. I think Morrissey hate listened to The Cure. Yeah. Oh, he like jerked off. To how much he fucking To how much he fucking Because again, Morrissey fucking hates everything. Yeah. There's no fucking way that he was secretly in love with The Cure. I bet he was listening to it. And just hating every second of it. Yeah, just jerking Jerking it and hating it. Oh, I'm going to get so fucking off on how much I hate this. I feel like hate jerking tonight. Oh, God. going to oh. listen to The Cure. You know he did. And from all the information I've gathered, they've actually never had an in-person interaction. So this is all just <laughs> via so interviews. Petty. It's the most petty fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And once in a blue moon, even today, one is brought up in the other's presence, and you can bet that some shade is thrown. But in more recent years, they've both claimed that they're not even really sure how they got pinned against each other. Of course, looking at it now, it's pretty obvious. During interviews, a journalist would just have to bring up one of the other's name, and that's all they needed to fucking just fire back at each other. So, especially NME, who's really well known for doing this kind of bullshit anyway. They try to be legit, but they are just a metal tabloid. They kind of are. But that's, they're really good at it. Yeah. You know. So is Kerrang. Kerrang was hardcore, like, underground hard rock tabloid for a while. I don't know what they are, what they're like now. But, yeah, you're just tabloids. Yeah. They'll try to have respectability. Music tabloids. Yeah. But they know how to hit a nerve and they would always get the result they wanted. So, I guess. It seems they don't have... The total vitriol for each other that everyone says that's there. Do they care for each other's music or even as each other as people? No, not not really. Not at all. But it's unlikely one wakes up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night cursing his enemy's name. Again, Morrissey hates everything. So he probably wakes up in a cold sweat about a lot of people. Yeah. Not just That's Robert how he Smith. wakes up every morning. Oh. In a cold sweat and paranoid. Turns his head over. I fucking hate the rain. <laughs> Oh, I fucking hate this bed. I need a new one. Oh, it's fucking wanker colors on these fucking walls. And that's probably what Morrissey's head is like. Just yeah. constant spewing of hate. I just bet you they were probably so undercover much. best friends, though. 
No, I don't know. If there was anybody but Morrissey, I'd agree with you. But Morrissey's <laughs> such a dick. He even called out the women who accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault and said, well, they might just be a little disappointed in the results they got. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a good person. <laughs> I'm doing the Steve Harvey. <laughs> I forgot. Surprise. Oh, yeah, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey's here. I'm, I'm doing the Steve Harvey disbelief. Oh, my God. Mustache face. Again, if you were if we were videotaping, <laughs> we would just slap Steve Harvey's face whenever we needed to. And it would be very, very appropriate. And I would say at this point, the current status of this feud, ongoing, I guess. Still? Yeah. Aren't they tired of it? I think it's one of those things where they're just never going to like each other. And once in a while, when the other gets brought up, they're going to be like, me. But I hope it's been what at least twenty years since this started. Twenty started probably again mid eighties. So So like pushing thirty five years, thirty years. I would say somewhere around thirty to thirty five years. Okay, so um, still yeah, and also have you met each other yet? No, probably not. Why? Why are you still doing this then? There's this really cute video I'll probably post. That someone made. It was a little animation of Morrissey versus Robert Smith. And according to this, Robert Smith wins. Well, he Because should. he sets Morrissey on fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's how I'm going to assume that the rivalry works out in this case. Okay, so you're next. Oh, are you done? <laughs> oh, are you done? <laughs> you're done now? You're done. So, our next one. You might not have heard of these bands, which is fine. <laughs> is it? It's fine. Um, <laughs> but this this next one I'm going to talk about is the Dandy Warhols. Oh yeah, versus the Brian Jonestown Massacre. I do know the Dandy Warhols. I feel like some people might know the Dandy Warhols because they had a couple minor hits in the 90s. I know Bohemian Like You. Yes. And they also had um, Not If You Were the Last Junkie on Earth. Sure. Which you might um, recognize if you heard it. Brian Jonestown Massacre, however, probably don't know them unless you've seen the 2004 documentary called Dig. So Dig... Is a documentary that was filmed over a period of seven years and chronicled the lives of the band members, the Danny Warhols and Brian Jonestown Massacre. Oh. The two leading men of these bands, Courtney Taylor Taylor of the Dandy Warhols and Anton Newcomb of Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yes, Taylor hyphen Taylor. Okay. (laughs) Don't ask me why. I won't. You only need one, but he went with two. (laughs) Harvey. Steve Harvey Steve face. Steve Harvey face. <laughs> His confused face. Like, did you hear what she said? Taylor, Taylor. Is that three names? That's three names. You have too many names. <laughs> <laughs> so these two guys, they were best friends and even bester rivals. <laughs> did you like that? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> they had a major love-hate relationship that spilled over to the other members of the band. So the documentary follows both bands and their relationships with each other as the Danny Warhols start to get a taste of success while the Brian Jonestown Massacre is kind of left behind. Oh, okay. That's yeah, kind of sad. No, don't oh, feel sad. No, okay. Take no, it back. Take it back. Mm, that's mine. <laughs> so both bands were active in the late 90s on the West Coast. 
gaining followings for their kind of hippie, trippy 60s rock vibe that yeah. was kind of popular in that little pocket of the 90s that Oasis came out of. Wasn't that was around maybe what, 95, 96? Yeah. Okay. About yeah. that time. Whenever Oasis came out, they kind of were like the leaders of that weird pseudo 60s. I always rock thought the Dandy Warhols came out before Oasis. They might have. I'm not really sure. I'm 100% not sure. Yeah. So you can tell me whatever and I'll believe it. <laughs> they really got on that post grunge psychedelic wave that was popular for a little bit. Record companies started noticing them, but both bands kind of kept sabotaging their own careers. Oh, no. Anton completely botched the showcase for record company executives by having a meltdown on stage and firing all of his band members. Wait, was Anton Dandy Warhols? Anton is Brian Jonestown Massacre. Okay. Which I think is a kind of fun pun of a band name because Brian Jones was the original founder of the Rolling Stones. And then you have the Jonestown Massacre. So oh. Brian Jonestown Massacre. Oh, get it? I get it. Oh. And it's kind of like... It, it's kind of like an allegory or whatever you know, I because get it but i feel like he went a little too meta with that one but yeah kind of <laughs> he really yeah. dug his own grave with that one didn't he yeah he kind of did um but yeah he he had a meltdown on stage fired all of his band members on stage and at the same time the danny warhols who had signed a deal with Capitol records realized all too late that they hated the glossy pop band they were turning into and started fire- fighting with their record company hmm. naturally anton and courtney would end up turning on each other it didn't help that both of them had massive egos and drugs were thrown into the mix yeah that's never a like, helpful element Hard drugs. Like, Anton was a heroin addict for quite a while. Well, really, at this point, we know 70s and 80s, it was the cocaine. Mm -hmm. It was the cocoa. Bitches loved it. But by the 90s, 90s, it was heroin. 100% heroin. If you had a drug problem, you mean you had a heroin problem. And then I feel like the 2000s, it was meth. Yeah. And then it... Now it's fentanyl. And Tide Pods. Tide pods just tide kill pods. you. I don't even think you get high. You know what? If you're stupid enough to eat a fucking Tide Pod, die. Just die instantly. I, I don't care. It's a real thing. You know, just it doesn't die. matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Kids don't eat Tide Pods. Yeah. I. Anyway. Please and thank you. <laughs> Despite the fact that they never really achieved much success, Courtney insisted that his band was amazing and he, quote, could sneeze and hits come out. <laughs> Clearly not true, because where are the Danny Warhols now? I don't... Where are you now, Courtney Taylor Taylor? How those two same last names working out for you? I don't... I don't think... I don't... I don't know, man. I don't know. Because I know... Again, I know Bohemian like you. Yep. But didn't even know it was the Danny Warhols until... I was listening to... Well after. I was listening to Pandora five years ago when it came up and I saw... Oh, that's who sings that song. That's a dumb name. Okay, why? Because <laughs> it sounds like Andy Warhol. Oh, wait a minute. We're we're double last name and Anton just trying to be really hip to the sixties. Yes, with Andy Warhols and Brian Jones. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. But there wasn't any real impetus for the feud. 
The best we can find is that Anton had this image of the two bands leading a musical revolution together, but as the Danny Warhols found success and Brian Jonestown Massacre continuously sabotaged themselves, Courtney's ego skyrocketed as Anton kept imploding his own band to keep his credibility as an artist, all the while trashing the Danny Warhols for selling out. But there were some half-assed attempts at starting shit, like when Anton sent the dandy shotgun shells with their names on them. <gasps> he thought it was a what? funny joke. And he's like, they just took it way too seriously. I'm, uh. like, I'm sorry, if you send bullets to somebody and you have their names on them, might take it as a threat. That's, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But the yeah. dandies kind of just ignored it. I, I okay. guess. Then Brian Jonestown Massacre wrote a song called Not If You Were the Last Dandy on Earth. Mm-hmm. Clearly a mockery of the dandy single Not If You Were the Last Junkie on Earth. Okay. But no one cared about it. Nobody listened to it. <laughs> no one cared. Then Courtney crashed the Brian Jonestown Massacre's trashed house early one morning for an impromptu photo shoot for a magazine, essentially co-opting Anton and Company's disaster of a house and life as a backdrop. But there was nothing Brian Jonestown Massacre could really do about it. They they basically just, like, stood in the background and were like, this is bullshit, and did nothing <laughs> about it. They didn't kick him out. They oh. didn't do anything. But this it sounds like, okay, so when you're in high school and you're not quite the cool kid, like, you're- But you really want to be? You're the assistant coach captain <laughs> on the JV squad- of football, and you go and you beat up a nerd because you want to prove yourself, but you're still not at that point where people are going to respect you. Yeah. Well, so they kind of look at you like, yo, man. I feel like there's a very good quote from the Venture Brothers that sums this feud up real good. Yeah. You think you're hot shit in a champagne glass, but you're just cold diarrhea in a Dixie cup. Uh- <laughs> Oh, that's really good. Oh, man. Yeah, that was the Scared Straight episode when the monarch goes to jail and he's doing the Scared Straight. <laughs> yes! Oh, my the God. I love that episode. <laughs> cold it's cold diary in a Dixie cup. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, oh it's real yeah. good. But eventually the antics weren't fun anymore and the dandies took out a restraining order against Anton. Oh, okay. When they were over it. Yeah, when they were done with it. This was at the end of the documentary. Okay. So when all is said and done, the movie shows Anton as a drug-addicted crazy person and Courtney as an opportunistic pompous dickwad. So nobody really comes out looking that great. Oh, no. Okay. No. The only person that comes out looking great is the tambourine player for Brian Jonestown Massacre because his facial expressions when Anton goes off the fucking rails is amazing. So what you're saying is watch the documentary just for that. Yes. 100%. And also all the crazy shit that Anton does. Like, he is totally cracked out of his fucking mind the whole documentary. And it's hilarious. Hilarious. But listening to Courtney Taylor Taylor talk just makes you want to punch your TV. You want to go Elvis on that shit and shoot that TV screen. (laughs) Did Elvis really do that? Yeah, he did. I just thought that was one of those urban legends. He did it. All right. That could be a feud. Elvis versus the TV. TV. I think the TV lost. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. The cocaine much. definitely won. Yeah. The cocaine really won in that Oof. situation. Yeah, it did. 
But uh, of course, everyone involved in the documentary absolutely hated it and say it's completely unrepresentative of who they are as people and musicians. Is it? And the rivalry between the two was completely overblown. Is it? That may be so, but it will still go down in history as one of the most bizarre yet hilarious rivalries in music history. But they should be grateful considering their music won't go down in history, period. Yeah, they're going to be better known for a documentary than they are for their actual music. And the documentary is really good. I don't care if it's all fake or if it's true or whatever. The documentary is hilarious and you should watch it. I'm, I'm going to now. That was a stellar <laughs> review. If you can find it. it. It won a bunch of awards at Sundance, too, that Ooh. year. So it's... Oh, it's got accolades. Accolades. Oh, my. Oh. There's little things on the front of the cover that says Pinkies it one thing. Pinkies up. Ooh, bougie, Ooh. bougie movie, bougie bitch. Bougie movie, bitch. So at this point, are they even feuding anymore or is it just over? I have no idea. I mean... Or do they even matter anymore? From what I understand, Anton now lives in Germany and he's been living there for the last like decade. Wow. And he has he has a wife and kids. He kicked uh drugs. He's like that's good. He's doing good. He's still making music. Good for him. As for the Danny Warhols, I have no idea what, what they're up to and I don't really care. Yeah. They had that one song that I know. Yeah, they got that one song, so you know. The one that I skip every time it comes on. I you know what it is? It's the intro. I don't like it. But if I got past the intro, I'm like, this isn't bad. But the intro, I'm always... I mean, to be honest, neither band was that great. Neither band was innovative. Neither band really did anything original. It's like you said, they were a part of that rebirth of psychedelic rock in the 90s that really doesn't hold up. Oasis does because they teetered the line. They didn't go full psychedelic. They were... They fell more on the rock... Side, they did. They really did. That top 40 rock side. And now I think there was another kind of mini psychedelic scene that started a few years ago with like the polyphonic spree. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, but I almost feel like that's just more like acid rock. You know I what I mean? In the sense like, that. It's acid plus stoner rock. Equals, yeah. Um, late 2000s psychedelic rock. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. I would say that's probably true because I feel like Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros were part of that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are super, like, drug addicts. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, but they're major drug addicts. <laughs> no, but seriously. But, but they have problems. Guys, we need to help them. <laughs> Somebody help them, really, for real. We need to go fund me. <laughs> we don't even need that. They probably have tons of money. Well, speaking, anyway. Speaking of tons of money. It's your turn. Let's go into... <laughs> My second feud, which is Nas versus Jay-Z. Ooh. This is a fun one. Some artists don't need media encouragement to have beef. This is one of those rare situations. But I'll tell you, the media certainly didn't help to alleviate any of it either. Oh, I'm sure. The interesting thing about rap hip-hop feuds is they're almost always this call and answer kind of thing. That's what diss tracks are for. That's pretty much what this is. One person calls out someone else on their track, so then it comes out, and the person who's the subject of the diss needs to reply in another track, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, it was the same thing with Biggie and Tupac. Exactly. I don't even know if they ever had any face-to-face arguments, really. Oh, arguments? 
maybe not. Like they they were friends to begin with, yeah. but then as they grew apart, it was just like a lot of hearsay, like a lot of call and response with diss tracks left and right. Yeah. Spoilers: This story isn't going to go the way of Biggie and Tupac. Yeah, so. I hope not. And also, so they're good both news. still alive. No so. need to buckle up. Yeah. In 1996, a young Jay-Z was working on his debut album, Reasonable Doubt, and Nas was supposed to guest on a track, but he didn't make the recording. And instead of asking him, oh, hey, what happened? His producer decided to get revenge for the apparent snub by sampling one of his tracks on Dead Presidents 2, and the snowball effect began. Maybe he was just stuck in traffic. To this day, I think they even say, I don't know why I didn't make it. (laughs) Nobody really knows. This was... Over 20 years ago. It's 22 years ago. Maybe Nobody really knows what happened. Probably was hungover. They didn't and have yeah, cell phones. They yeah. don't know. They don't know. So Maybe about, he was at the library reading a really interesting book and yeah. lost track of time. Yeah. You don't know at Nas. Best, they had Nokia bricks. So, come on. He probably didn't have service in the library. Yeah, probably had a Zach Morris phone. It's fine. Yeah. Get over it, guys. Come on. Jesus. <sighs> about a month after Jay-Z's debut release... Nas's second album, It Was Written, came out with the track called The Message, with the line, quote, Lex with TV sets the minimum. Now, to our basic bitch ears, we don't really hear a diss laid out for Jay-Z, that ma- but yeah, it's makes, totally there. That makes, makes no, no sense. sense to us, right? Yeah, because we're basic white bitches. I'm a basic white bitch. I don't get it. It's okay. It's okay. I don't have to get it. It's fine. It's because Jay-Z had a real thing for Lexus luxury cars. It was featured in many of his videos, as well as, in, as well as him writing a ton of lyrics about him. So he knew damn well who that line was for when he heard it. That's kind of a lame car to have a boner over. Like, well, Lexus. Nas agreed. Lex, I'm on the side with Nas here because Lexuses are just trumped up Toyotas. Ooh, shots fired at Lexus. I'm not even. I'm not even really dissing them. They are made by Toyota. Oh. They are Toyota's luxury car. <laughs> I didn't know that. Just like Acura's are Honda. Honda's luxury cars. Alexis is to Toyota as an Acura is to Honda. Oh, it's not even a diss. It's just facts. <laughs> okay. Okay. I take it back. Do I have to do a Steve Harvey mustache face? <laughs> Always. Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. Nas, like I said, agreeing with you. Of course, confirmed it that he was calling out Jay Z, but then didn't admit to it actually being a diss by saying, "quote I saw Jay Z driving a Lexus with the TVs in them. I got rid of my Lexus at this point, and I was looking for the next best thing. It wasn't a shot at Jay, but it was just saying that's the minimum you gotta have. It's not a shot at him, but he inspired the line. It wasn't necessarily a shot at him." But because the song was a shot at everybody, he fell into that. But he definitely inspired that line. He just said the same thing five times. I've read that quote 20 times. And I still am just thinking, no, no, Nas. Technically, you read it 100 times because... You took a shot at Jay-Z. Yeah. Just say, yeah. Just say it's a diss to Jay-Z. Basically, what he's trying to say... And this isn't going to be much more eloquent is I think Lexus is a basic car and Jay-Z is shooting for the minimum. And I was looking for something better than that. So I was dissing people on being in the minimum. 
and Jay-Z's in the minimum, you know? But I wasn't dissing Jay-Z. But you were. You were. And it's fine. Like, that's what a diss track is. Yeah. It's fine. If you're going to put that in your song, fucking own it. Just own it. Seriously. Come on. Well, in 1997, Jay-Z released a song called Where I'm From with the line, quote, Where I'm from, N-words pull your card and argue all day about who's the best MCs, Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas. But in March, after Biggie passed away, Jay did not hesitate to claim the New York hip-hop throne in the song The City Is Mine, kind of totally pushing Nas aside and saying, nah, I'm the hip-hop king. Biggie's gone, so it's gotta be me, right? Yeah, I mean, he kind of did take it over. He did. He didn't really leave much room for Nas. No, I've always known about Nas, but Jay-Z always seemed to me a bigger presence. Yeah. But whatever. Again, basic white bitches, what do we know about rap hip-hop? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know shit. We don't know shit. It's fine. Uh, The last couple years in the 90s didn't see as much feuding with Nas and Jay-Z as they did with Nas and young Hova protege, Memphis Bleak. They exchanged some back-and-forth disses, most most notably Nas on Stillmatic, which references a few players from the Rockefeller crew, including Jay-Z. So he's still keeping Jay in the back of his mind, but for a little bit, he was really focused on Memphis Bleak. Was he part of that crew? Nas? Yeah. Not in the 90s, no. Okay. Not really. It was more Jay and some other, a couple other guys. I know Memphis Bleak and somebody else whose name I can't fucking remember right now because I didn't write it down. At the Hot 97 Summer Jam, Jay-Z came back at Nas with the song Takeover, questioning his cred and calling him a has-been, saying he only has one good album every 10 years, and it was released on his 2001 album Blueprint, and at that point, everyone was convinced that Nas was done and would just fade away. It's over. It's been 10 years. Mm -hmm. Jay-Z won. Go away, Nas. So while you might think that this is the end of the story, you are entirely wrong. Nas came back with the song Ether to utterly destroy Jay-Z. Nas defends himself, saying how he's been in the game since 91 and is the truest and realest rapper out there. He accuses Jay-Z of selling out and calling him things like a misogynist and just straight up ugly. Whoa. And fans applauded him for this amazing comeback. I believe one of the videos I watched, somebody said, yo, Fans of Jay Z on a Friday night were Nas fans by Saturday. Yeah, that would that convert was how me. Quick, that was how quick people were just ready to go back to Nas because he was like, "Fuck you, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it back." I'm already converted. That's fine. Right? <laughs> of course, Jay Z shoots back, but this time many argued he went a bit too far. On his track "Super Ugly," he brags about a three-year affair with Nas's girlfriend Carmen Bryan who also is his baby mama. They're not together anymore, but they do have a child together. Who's a child is 22. And I'm like, huh, world. Steve Harvey. <laughs> Steve Harvey face. Seriously, <laughs> that was, oh, God, so she's wait, 22. So Jay-Z has a 22-year-old? Nas, Nas has a 22-year-old with Carmen Bryan. But Jay-Z oh, okay. said in this diss track, yo, I had your girl. We were, she was having an affair with me, that kind it's, of stuff. Nah, looking back. Yeah, it wasn't the most adequate considering, diss track you could well, go with. Well, I mean, with. considering Jay-Z's track record of recent years. Yeah. We won't flash forward 20 years later. Uh, we won't even get in. We should have talked about the Jay-Z and Beyonce feud. Oh, my God. that's I'll wait <laughs> another 10 years to cover that one. Because that boy. shit is a loaded Ooh, topic boy. with a lot of... That's the Charlie Day... <laughs> 
<laughs> that's Naps the setup. Pepe Sylvia fucking yes. shit. <laughs> that's oh my god. So this negative backlash for Jay not only came from fans, but also his very own mother, Gloria Carter, who demanded he apologize for the comment. Oh shits. And when your mama tells you to apologize, <laughs> you bet your ass you're gonna apologize. If your mom tells you you need to apologize, you know you fucked up. <laughs> the minute your mom comes in, you're like, oh, God, I'm in so much trouble. Mom, don't embarrass me. God, Mom, you're embarrassing me from my, my bros. God, ruined my life. Jeez, oh Mom, where's the protein? <laughs> And here's where radio stations decide they're going to get involved. Because, you know, why leave it alone? Right. It's only a few years after Biggie and Tupac. Let's fan the flames again. Yeah. So they play Ether and Super Ugly back to back, pulling listeners to tell them which they thought was better. Again, just fueling the fire. And for the record, nothing could be Ether. That shit is still a staple in the rap community. Mm-hmm. Like, the gold star standard of diss tracks. Uh, oh my god, I'm the worst because I didn't write it down. But somebody recently made a track called Sheether Against Nicki Minaj. That's how oh. much this song has stuck through huh. the years. That's kind of funny. Is people still reference it and use it for their diss tracks. So, good job, Nas. If he will go down in history as anything, it will be the king of the diss track. Yeah. He won. Good job. He's already won. It's not even over. Good How- form. Good, Good form. form, Nas. However, things between Jay and Nas themselves did seem really quiet, aside from a small shot fired here or there, maybe a couple things on albums, but nothing compared to the heavy artillery that they were packing before. Mm-hmm. It turns out that Nas's mother heard the interview with Mama Carter and agreed they should bury the hatchet and end this ridiculous fight. Their moms... Yeah. And did it for them. In an interview with jo- uh, nah. in an interview with both Nas and Jay Z, Nas says, "Yeah, my mom saw what Jay's mom said, and she agreed." And so you're looking at it and saying, "Oh, your mom's told Their you you've got to stop so fighting." Cute. Your moms are adorable. Well, think about Biggie's mom was the same. Yeah, Biggie's mom was adorable. She didn't want him pulling shit with Tupac right. and doing any of the stuff that was happening, and. She got really involved after he died, too. Yo, some of those moms in the rap hip-hop community are just the most amazing people. They're just, Kai, stop fighting. This is stupid. You're all stupid. All <laughs> we right? raised some dumbasses. Oh. We, now we need to fix this shit. Fuck. All right. Come on, guys. So a few years later, in 2005, they publicly put an end to things by performing together at a stop on Jay's I Declare War tour. The following year, Nas left Columbia Records and joined Def Jam. And it was really sweet. There's actually a, a video online of somebody recording when he comes out and like, oh, shit, I think Nas is coming out. I think Nas, oh, shit, Nas is out. And people are losing their shit watching <laughs> Jay-Z and Nas perform together. And it's kind of a beautiful thing. You're like, that's real nice. It's nice. Again, when you think about not even 10 years prior, one of just the worst Two homicides in the rap community happening. Right. This could have easily gone that way, but it right. didn't. And it's like, oh, well, thank well, maybe, goodness that didn't happen. Maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah. Because people, their, their moms at least realized, oh, shit, all of this stuff just happened with Biggie and Tupac. 
this could happen to our sons. Yeah, and we don't so want that. So that needs to fucking stop right, right. now. And both Jay You don't even and have to be nice. Just don't. be civil. Just don't shoot each other. Yeah. Don't don't or get don't involved hire with other people to yeah. shoot the other. Yeah, person. don't get involved with the Crips and the Bloods. Yeah, don't do that. Step one. Step one. <laughs> but of course, this hasn't stopped the machine from trying to reignite the flames. Every so often, someone will try to bring up the beef in an interview or an article, but both men just respond to them by saying they don't want to talk about it. It's tired and it's over. So they're really moving on That's from good. it. Even as recently as this past June, when Jay Z and Beyonce released their joint album "Everything Is Love." Right before Nas's Nasser, the public was chomping at the bit, ready to see another throwdown. But again, these hip-hop professionals have taken the high road and refused to take the bait. They just Good. say, I don't think that his album coming out at the same time as mine is going to affect my sales. It's fine. I don't give a shit. And they just walk away. They 100% don't want to talk about it because they're over it, which is they great. Grown. They are grown-ass men. They are grown-ass men. Out of all the stories we've talked about so far, this is the best because they just both say, you know what? This was stupid. Yeah. Let's just get over it. Yeah. A lot of people made this argument, and I think I agree. Yeah, this was a petty, stupid argument, a petty, stupid fight. But you can't deny that they both stepped up each other's game. Oh, my God. They both are so relevant and so good because they had this rivalry to fight against. Well, it's kind they of had to come back stronger and tougher. It's kind of giving each other inspiration. Exactly. Yeah. It's this. This was actually a pretty good feud to read about because it's you know they're definitely taking the high road and well, it has we a got good, good ending. music out of it. Yeah, yeah. has a good ending. Well, I wanted to give everybody a nice and happy it, ending. It sounds like it um, kind of defines Nas's career. Yeah, in a way. So, yeah, good definitely Jay's as well. I don't think he would have tried as hard at the beginning. And mm-hmm. that's when you really start start to make your mark. Yeah. So they really helped each other. So well, good job, guys. Good job. Way to be adults. And good job, moms. <laughs> yeah, for real. Shout out to moms. Thanks, moms. <laughs> so, so what are we rounding off with? So this last one we got here is two major heavy hitters in the music industry. Ooh. However... I never even knew they had beef. Ooh. Oh, yes. So this is Prince and Michael Jackson. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> had that is... no idea they had something yeah. going on. But it's pretty fucking hilarious. Oh, I bet it is. I have no doubt in my mind this is the funniest feud to ever happen. It's so good. It's so good. I'm here for it. So... Sometimes even friendly jabs here and there can turn into heated rivalry. This is definitely one of those feuds, which started when Michael Jackson's album Thriller ousted Prince's album 1999 from the top of the charts in 1982. Mm -hmm. This was all right with both parties, and Michael Jackson even attended several of Prince's performances during his Purple Rain tour. Nice. But at some point after that, the two pop stars shared a recording studio. So Prince invites Michael to play a game of ping pong. (laughs) Okay. But Michael doesn't know how to play. Okay. So Prince is about to serve the ball to Michael and says, you want me to slam it? Like, you really want me to fucking hit this thing? Yeah. Michael drops the paddle and holds his hands up to his face to protect himself from the ping pong ball. And walks out with his bodyguard. Like, terrified that Prince is going to smack him with a ping pong ball. Stop! 
what? After much strutting and gloating, Prince goes, did you see that? He played like Helen Keller. All right, I'm already Team Prince. So right? <laughs> I just I'm just picturing that in my head and it's beautiful. <laughs> oh my god. But I think he was kinda like Miff that that thriller ousted Purple Rain. So he was Wait, kinda did like it oust Purple Rain or nineteen ninety nine? Or nineteen ninety nine. Oh, okay, because so I was gonna say. Um yeah. So I think he was kinda Miff. So he Yeah, you could be Miff. I think Prince kind of had like this open wound and Michael was just like, I don't know why you don't like me. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, but, I, but ping pong. It's ping pong, it's guys. It's ping pong. You gotta, you gotta be able to have a little friendly, friendly competition there. It's ping pong. But when Michael plays like Helen Keller, That's it's amazing. not a fair fight. Oh my God. So... Apparently, they would also attempt to play basketball at Prince's Paisley Park Estate. Hey, if it's anything like... But we all know how good of a basketball player Prince is. Yeah. Thanks to Charlie Murphy. Yeah. He's an amazing basketball player. (laughs) So it goes without saying that Michael never won. Well, it's because he has the ability to disappear and reappear. (laughs) We discussed this in our Purple Rain episode. Go back and listen if you don't know what we're talking about. I wonder if he ever made Michael pancakes. Maybe. I hope he did. I hope he did. Unless they were still feuding. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But, like, up until now, it seems like things are just, like, kind of Prince just jabbing at Michael and yeah. Michael just being like, why are you jabbing at me? Because I think Prince is older than Michael, right? I really don't know. I, they might be the same age. Oh, maybe. I don't know. How about mentally Prince is definitely older than Michael Jackson? Oh, Oh, yeah. At no fault oh. of Michael's. And not saying that, but like. But definitely Prince is probably mentally more mature than Michael Jackson is. For sure. Yeah. So things escalated when Prince declined to participate in Michael's recording for We Are the World for charity and was further pissed off when Prince wouldn't duet with him on the title track to his next album, Bad. Oh, I did hear about that. Prince was, like, actually kind of insulted that Michael wanted him to do this duet. And apparently he got Wesley Wesley Snipes to do it instead. And, like, in interviews (laughs) afterwards, Prince was like, yeah, did you hear the the part that Wesley Snipes did? That would have been me. Are you kidding? Like, I'm not doing that. Like, seriously offended that Michael wanted Prince to take, like, second fiddle on Michael's own album. But how do you go from Prince to Wesley Snipes? I don't know. Did you ask anyone in between? There may have been steps and that's who they landed on. I hope it was a step and not just a drop. Granted, this was well before Wesley Snipes' tax evasion issues. So I don't know. I have no problems with Wesley Snipes. I think he's a fine actor. Especially in Tuong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Fucking jewel of a movie. I love that movie. He's fantastic in it. But <laughs> I don't really think he's known for his music career. Not exactly. So, yeah, not exactly. It's it's a strange choice. But then again, Michael is a strange man. Yeah. Anyway. But the rivalry kind of simmered for a while through the 90s. 
and neither party really made much of an attempt at any jabs, except for the time Prince apparently tried to run Michael over with his limo. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it this shouldn't be funny, but it's kind of funny? I don't know, but this was... Okay, according to Quincy Jones... Oh, yeah. Who... I don't know if I should believe all of the stories. He he, all he the th- went through a lot of crazy stories yeah, recently. Yeah, he he's been spinning some tales Which... and I don't know if I should believe them or not, but this is too hilarious not to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently this was at a James Brown show and Michael Jackson and Prince were both in attendance. And James Brown pulled Michael up on stage and Michael did, you know, a few dance moves and a moonwalk. And then he, like, apparently whispered something to James Brown. And according to some, he said something like, you should invite Prince on stage and see if he can follow me up. And Michael went off stage and then a little while later, James Brown invited Prince up, who did, like, like, guitar parts with him or whatever. Right. And... uh, Apparently, Prince's uh, guest appearance wasn't as well-received as Michael's, so he stalked off stage all upset. Oh, no. And then, (laughs) supposedly, he waited for Michael outside the venue in his limo, and Michael, like, came up and had a conversation, or he either had a conversation with Prince or he wouldn't stop and have a conversation with Prince, so he tried to run him, like, just took off in the limo, like full speed to Michael trying to run him over. Wow. Uh, And I don't know if that is completely true. Some people say it is. Some people say it was not true at all. Right, of course. But the idea of Prince in the back of a limo telling his limo driver to run over Michael Jackson is kind of hilarious. Hey, run over Michael Jackson. (laughs) Are you sure about that, sir? I I don't know if I should do that. I don't pay you to question me. You're right. You don't. I wrote Purple Rain. You did? did But also, apparently, Michael, in his own time, enjoyed watching Under the Cherry Moon and laughing at Prince. (gasps) Ooh, that's not a great movie, I hear. It's, yeah, no. I've heard heard not great things about that movie. Yeah, me too. So things, again, kind of simmered down, but they were still kind of at each other. But then in 2006, Will I Am... From Black Eyed Peas. You mean auto-tune voice box? Because I'm pretty (laughs) sure he replaces vocal cords with an actual auto-tuner. I wouldn't doubt it. He has enough money to do that. He's really loaded. Yeah. So he tried to get the two of them to play nice when he invited Michael to his Las Vegas show where he'd be performing with Prince. But Prince said, nah, fuck that. And... (laughs) Wandered into the audience, found Michael, and proceeded to play a rousing bass solo in Michael's face. <laughs> like, really aggressively. Oh my god. Just in his face. Just fucking slapping his bass in Michael's face. Slapping the bass in Michael's face. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, Will I Am went to Michael's house for breakfast, and the first thing Michael says is, why was Prince playing the bass in my face? <laughs> Prince, he's always been a meanie. <laughs> and then they both died. Oh. <laughs> womp womp. Well, you really hit a fucking brick wall with I that, know. didn't you? 
<laughs> but that's the only way it stopped is because they both died. Oh. Three years later, Michael died. And then two years ago. Uh, two years ago. Prince died. Prince died. And the rivalry died with them. I guess it did. Or maybe they're just in heaven duking it out. Or maybe they're in heaven having a few drinks. Who knows? It depends on what you believe, I suppose, doesn't yeah. it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Wow. I'd like to think that they had more of a playful fight. You know, the prince kind <laughs> of treated like him it. like a younger brother. Yeah. It was and, like and kind of like a at, brotherly rivalry. Yeah. And he kind of looked at Prince, you know, like, you're my arch nemesis, so I need to treat you a certain way. But it was also ridiculous. Right. So I'm going to choose to think it was kind of playful, too. Because... Who walks up and just does a bass solo in someone's face? I'm picturing this in my head, and it is the most hilarious thing in the world. Is that on tape? God, I wish. I'm sure it's not. I am picturing, for some reason, Prince in that fucking outfit from the MTV Music Awards with his butt hanging out. Yeah. (laughs) Like, sauntering through the the audience with his cymbal guitar yes or cymbal bass and like finding michael and just running up to him and like standing above him and just fucking slapping that bass oh right my god and, and michael like, just going fucking like, knock 1999 down i'll show you and michael is totally doing the steve harvey face why are you doing this to me <laughs> he's always been such a meanie he's always been such a meanie oh Michael Jackson. Yeah. Apparently apparently Michael was pretty distressed. Yeah. In the the end, he was a little bit distressed. Like, I don't understand why he's being so mean to me. But Prince is just kind of like, you idiot. I'm just having fun. Yeah. I think once Prince saw he could get under his skin. He just kept trying to do it. Because Prince seems like that guy. Oh, yeah. Who, when he finds out how to get under your skin, he's going to do it all the fucking time. Especially if you're Michael Jackson. Of course he's going to do it. That's how that So I I don't think I can take sides with that one. No, it's too funny. But also, I'm like, I'm kind of 51% on Prince's side because he's kind of fun. For the bass solo alone. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm slightly more on Prince's side because it's funny. It is really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well... That's that's rivalries for today, guys. I think I think that's a good note, I guess, to end it on. Maybe someday we can revisit these and uh, do some more rivalries. Oh, we will definitely do more rivalries. There is There's a so never-ending surplus of them. I mean, I could go on for days about the Guns N' Roses Nirvana rivalry. The only reason I didn't talk about it this time is because we already talked about it in our In Utero episode episode which you should go listen to we could do an entire episode on every feud courtney loves had yep yep we could do that we could do an entire episode we could do an entire episode on uh in band fighting oh yeah uh but that's like every band from the 70s yeah pretty (laughs) much so we would be here for months yeah pretty much yeah there you go and we ever get a lot of material for you guys. If we ever get that desperate for material, <laughs> then fuck maybe up, ten guys. years from now. <laughs> yeah, when we're scrapping at the bottom of the barrel, which won't we won't. I'm, there's always something. There's always something far more interesting. Courtney Love will fight with somebody again. It's only a matter of time. Anyway, right. So 
Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Sticking by us, listening through. We're over 30 episodes now, so that's pretty fun. This is 31. Nope. 32. No, 32. Yeah. We're, we're bringing them in for you kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can follow us on the social media bullshits at Twitter at Rock Candy Pod and Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. And our website is www.rockcandypodcast.com. There you can comment on our episodes or even just find our email and email us anything, whatever. We don't care. And then go ahead and find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, any kind of podcatcher. And feel free to subscribe and rate and review. Throw us some stars. And and also, in a couple weeks, we are going to be in Nashville. Oh, yeah. At the Rockin' Pod convention. convention. Um, we don't have a booth, but we're going to be mingling. Yes, we will mingle about, and we'll be in Nashville for a couple days. So if you're at the same con, or you're in Nashville, or you're in the area, and you want to come say hi, come say hi. Come say hi. Let us know. We're kind of nice. I think we're very nice. I like us. Also, buy us a drink. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> or just share one. We can do rounds. It's fine. Yeah, that's great. We'll do, we'll do the old-fashioned way. Right? You buy us one, we'll buy you one. We'll make it fair. That's fine. Fair is fair. God damn it. <laughs> All right. So come on in next week for some more crazy stories. Again, hodgepodge month going strong. So who knows what next week will be? Ooh, fucking episode roulette. Yeah. Surprise. Kill surprise. Is that right? I don't know French. Sure. It's a surprise. It is. It always is. It's even a surprise <laughs> to us. Yep. And with that, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.